Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, everyone. It was, I, I was here last night, and it was tremendous, huge blessing to be here, and, and, uh, Ever wonder why God made kids so cute? Maybe it's so we'll keep them. Yeah. No, they're they're really good and uh, it was excellent. Um, I uh, have a, a just a, a card I just wanted to, uh, to tell you about. It's from uh, Carlotta, Evangel, uh, and it says, "My dear church family, just a quick update on my cancer journey. My latest CAT scan." on December 11th, did show my cancer is not spreading or getting bigger, which is huge. <clears throat> yep. Just wanted to thank you all who prayed for me. You helped to keep me positive as well. Remember, there is power in prayers. Again, thank you. May God richly bless you and have a Merry Christmas, uh, all health and happiness in 20, 2020, uh, 2024. So. Very uh, thankful, Carlotta. There you are. Yeah, that's awesome. We rejoice with you in that. I actually got a good uh, call on Friday. I had a, a phone appointment with the cancer doctor, and my PSA levels are down to 2.7, which they say is good. And so that's all good. She said, uh, "Just uh, now we just have to make sure they stay stay there. That's the thing, right? So, so I was very thankful, appreciative of that call as well. Thank you for your prayers very much. Before we jump into our topic, uh, which uh, uh, Tom and Natasha pretty much, well, completely covered everything I was going to say this morning, but <laughs> I was really well done. Really, really appreciated that. In all seriousness, uh, they did cover all the points. It's wonderful. So all I'm going to do is expand on that. Uh, but before I do that, I mentioned this last week, and I'm just going to mention it briefly, but uh, come uh, the Saturday after the men's breakfast, so that's the 13th of January, we're going to do uh, our, uh, for many years now, uh, I've done a, a men's uh, winter book club in, on Saturday mornings from 8 to 10. It's not a time that everybody can free up, but a lot of men in the wintertime have a little bit more downtime, and so, uh, but I also wanted to mention, this is the, the book actually, and you can pick up a copy here today if you want. Uh, they're $25. You don't have to pay now, but you can uh, you can uh, do an e-transfer for that. It's well worth the money. I'm about halfway through it, and it's, a, it's an awesome book. Uh, and I want to just say uh, that I've had some interest from some of the ladies as well. It's, the book's not just written for guys. It's written by a woman, uh, but written, it's not just written to men. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot in here that, uh, a tremendous amount. I'm, I've been learning tons, I tell you. And so uh, I would encourage uh, women to, uh, to pick up the book as well. Um, and I'm excited uh, that, that we're going to get to do that, Lord willing, in the new year. Lots, lots planned, lots coming up. So we are, uh, we are on the subject of peace this morning, and uh, I, um, I guess I want to start by saying that, that the subject of peace uh, represents one of the many instances 
uh, where the veracity or truthfulness of Scripture is corroborated by our personal uh, experience, uh, life experience, because both in Scripture and in our lives, we see how peace is something greatly uh, valued and longed for, and yet at the same time, it can be rather elusive. Our text is the Isaiah 9 passage, Isaiah 9, and uh, we're going to... uh, Focus uh, on uh, verses six and seven. That's our main, uh, the main uh, passage for this morning. So, if you want to turn there, we uh, we will be projecting it as well. But uh, I encourage you to to, uh, to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah nine verses six and seven, where we read: "For to us a child is born, to us a son is given." And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness and from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If you had, if you were here last night, we could get the, one of those, some of those kids to recite that passage to us because they memorized it uh, word for word and, and committed to to heart. Um, will you uh, will you pray with me, Lord? Uh, we are thankful already for what the blessings we re- received this day. Uh, we're grateful to you for allowing us the the privilege of spending this time together. We, we do thank you for the children and the opportunity to, just, uh, uh, to share in the joy that they have uh, as they uh, worship you this Christmas season, this wonderful message of peace on earth. Thank you that you are, Lord, our Prince of Peace. And as we consider these, these truths this morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us the ability to to, to hear, to see, and to understand what you, you, you want for us, what you have for us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are the Prince of Peace. And we pray that we um, would have um, ears to hear today. Lord, we, we just come before you and, and ask that you would help us to take a posture of humility and and learning and uh, that you would lift up uh, your countenance upon us today and give us your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. So thinking first off of how prominent this theme is and uh, in order to appreciate how big the the theme of peace or the subject of peace is in Scripture, Uh, consider the terms that are used. So the term that's typically translated peace in the Old Testament scriptures is, and many of you are aware of this, it's the word Hebrew word shalom. It's the word that's used in the text we just read in verse uh, 6 where Jesus is referred to as the prince of peace. 
And uh, shalom is used approximately 250 times. That's a lot throughout the Old Testament. Uh, along with its derivatives, it's used more than 350 times. And that doesn't include um, the uh, proper names that uh, it, it, the word is a part of. And so about, um, well, about uh, 25% of the time, uh, it's used to refer to relationships or the absence of conflict in relationships. But the vast majority of the times it, when shalom is uh, referenced in scripture, uh, thinking of the Old Testament word shalom, it means uh, completeness, maturity, well-being, um, secure, uh, healthy, harmonious, prosperous, content, and the list really does go on because if you look up the word shalom in, the, in a Bible dictionary, you will see that the word shalom actually literally means whole or complete. And while it is used to signify good relations between people, uh, it is used that way because the opposite of good relationships with people are broken relationships. And the word shalom means whole or complete or unified. And so shalom, a word that means wholeness or completeness, is chosen by God early in the biblical record, very early, and then developed as a theme over time to paint this, this picture for us, a picture of, of safety and security and prosperity and contentment and health and harmony. And um, it's much more and so much more than absence of conflict. Usually when we use the word peace or hear the word peace, that's what we think of, absence of conf conflict. But that's part of what shalom is, but it's, it's, it's more than that. That's really only the surface of it. So to illustrate, for example, think about a marriage where two people never engage in an argument. Are they experiencing peace? Not necessarily so. That's, uh, that's, that's why they invented man caves, right? Are they experiencing peace? Uh, or, or, and how common is this? You can decide. Is it just a go-along to get-along situation that is far, far, far less than the biblical vision of what it means to be at peace or to have peace? So take a look at this passage with me, Numbers chapter 6. Uh, where God instructs Moses as to how he is to bless the people. 
It says in verse 22 of Numbers chapter 6, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So there is this great uh, depth to biblical uh, shalom. There is also a great breadth to it as well as it ranges over different spheres of life, including not only our relationship with others, but as uh, Natasha pointed out, also our relationship with ourselves that we sometimes refer to as inner peace or peace of mind. And this, so this concept of peace in Scripture is vastly deep, it's, it's broad, and it's pervasive. It, it's everywhere throughout the scriptural accounts. Um, one indication of how in, uh, integral this idea of peace was to the thinking of God's people in biblical times is the fact that it became a common greeting that people used, uh, like peace to you, instead of saying hello. I think I like peace to you better than hello, but 10% of the times when you read the word shalom in the Old Testament Hebrew, it is a greeting. Uh, and that's not just true in the Old Testament with the word shalom, when you come into the New Testament, Jesus used peace as a greeting, right? I think you know that. John chapter 20, verse 19 is an example of that. Paul used it as a greeting. Paul opened many of his letters with something like grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just uh, when people met, it was also what they said when they were saying farewell or when, when they were leaving each other's company, they, they would say something like, uh, go in peace. So it was, a, it was a common greeting. It was used when people met. It was used when they uh, parted. And, and that constituted, uh, as I say, 10% of the times it was used in the Old Testament. It was used in that way. So it's very prevalent uh, and very dom dominant as a theme. Now, as well, while you're thinking of terms, take a moment with me to consider the word rest, R-E-S-T, because that's a related term in Scripture. There are times when peace is spoken of where the word rest is used instead of the word sh for shalom or for peace. And, uh, so, and an example of that would be in the passage of Scripture that includes the covenant God made with David, which is the basis for the Isaiah passage we are focused on here today. So when, when it says in uh, the prophet Isaiah about the coming, when it predicted uh, the coming of Jesus and that uh, the government would be upon his shoulder and his name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and that of the increase of his government and peace there would be no end, that he would rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom, that is the fulfillment of the promise God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I want to just go there briefly and take a look at that. It's the basis, uh, it's the uh, explanation of the promise that God 
made to David that we call the Davidic covenant. It's the basis for the Isaiah's prophecy that we're reading today. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 13, it says, Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, this is Nathan the, Nathan the prophet being instructed by God to go to David and say, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will uh, give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring um, after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You can see there in that passage in 2 Samuel where God is making his covenant with David that that becomes the foundation for the promise and the promise upon which all the prophets who would follow after, including Isaiah, would look to, to that time of fulfillment uh, that we read about in Isaiah chapter 9. So throughout the, uh, the scripture then we see this, this longing uh, this expectation for peace or rest. And we have that in us, this longing or expectation or uh, very uh, passionate felt need for peace. It's a really, really big deal to us. And it's a really big deal in Scripture. But as big a deal as it was, it was and is also rather elusive. What do, what do I mean by that? I, I think you know what I mean by that. Now again, Natasha uh, mentioned this, how elusive peace is in our world today. Um, along with being a great warrior and king, David was also a great poet and musician. And so he wrote many of the Psalms, for example, in our Bibles. But the same David who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That same David wrote in Psalm 55, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Do you ever feel like that? Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Josh is so good with visuals. You know, he, he came up with this idea of these here, uh, these here uh, Advent 
doors, I guess, they're doors. I seen, I seen on the internet this week, somebody said, I, I don't have any event calendar doors to open, so I just open what, every door in my cupboard and eat whatever's inside. <laughs> it's a different kind of holiday tradition, but. Um, so I, I, uh, I was wondering when Josh started this, I thought, okay, I knew I was going to be speaking on the fourth su- uh, Sunday of, the, of Advent, and, and, and I didn't know if he was going to come up with something for me or if I was going to have to come up with it myself. And, uh, but anyways, I, and so I was thinking, um, you know, what do you, what do you use as a visual for when it comes to the subject of peace? Um, so I, I um, Adeline. Oh, she got tired of waiting. Well, can you help me? Thank you, April. <laughs> that's right, because she she was oh, that felt no. That's right. No, we know what you mean. These are um, thank you very much. These are peace doves. Uh, this actually was something that uh, my mom gifted us uh, many years ago, and uh, so I was thinking about peace, and and uh, and I was thinking about David's words, "Oh, that I had uh, wings of a dove." And I thought, "Where am I going to get a dove?" <laughs> I thought about using a chicken, um, <laughs> but then I didn't know if I could get away with substituting a chicken for doves or not. Um, was it was it Willow that had the chicken here last week? I thought I could grab I could have grabbed her chicken and used that, but anyways, I I didn't. I, then I remembered that my mom had given us this um, these these peace doves here, and so I thought, okay, they're really quite nice. Um, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Whether it's the current global scene or whether it's recent findings indicating that children and youth have more anxiety in their lives today than ever before in human history. Either way, peace on earth seems hard to come by. Whether it's world peace or inner peace, Peace is elusive. I recently heard a report just a few weeks ago that uh, medical doctors are very concerned these days about the number of children who are being given melatonin to help them sleep. I don't know a lot about medication, but that shocked me when I heard it. Um, As an older adult man... I find it hard to get through most nights without my sleep being broken up. But I didn't have that problem when I was a child or youth. And I find it hard to wrap my mind around the fact that children today need melatonin to sleep through the night. And the peace seemed to elude David as well. He had an intense longing for it. He named his capital city Jerusalem, which means city of peace. 
He named the son who would succeed him as King Solomon, which means peaceful one or peaceful. And as we saw, peace or rest was a core aspect of the promise that God made to him when he established his covenant with him, and which is again is foundational for the uh, declaration of Isaiah. Uh, whether we're talking about peace out there in the world or peace in our hearts, the longing we have for it is very intense and it seems to be especially so at Christmas time because perhaps of the expectations that we have. We want to believe that peace is achievable but there's been more bloodshed in the last century than any century up until this time and the level of anxiety experienced in most people's lives is staggering. Take another look with me, if you would, at those words, those, verse 10 and 11 of 2 Samuel 7. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Now, just back up a little bit to the first verse of that chapter. That's Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 and 11 that I just read. Verse 1 says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. There is a great tension here in these passages and it's a a tension between having peace and longing for peace. And it's actually part of a broader literary tension that exists throughout the entire narrative of scripture. Josh mentioned this last week. He talked about the already and the not yet aspect of the kingdom of God that we read about in scripture. So what did that look like in the life of David? Well, God enabled David to win many key victories. When we think of David, that's one of the things that comes to our, our mind before anything. We think of David and Goliath. But if you read the story of David, you will see that there were always enemies around ready to take their swipes at him. And then there's the fact that he ruled over a divided kingdom. Again, if you read through scripture, you'll see there that David uh, had a hard hard time uh, keeping the peace even amongst his own people. And there was always the threat of the 10 tribes to the north saying, that's it, we're not going to do this anymore, we're taking our ball and we're going home. And they did shortly after uh, Solomon, David's son Solomon's uh, reign. That's exactly what happened. And then, and then I, I don't think we can read this, the story of David uh, without thinking about David's own family. And I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the story, stories of David's children. Uh, Absalom comes to mind. Tamar, just curious, how many of you know the story of Tamar? 
Put your hand up if you know, when I say Tamar, David's daughter Tamar, how many of you are familiar with her story? Uh, it's, a, it's a story of terrible abuse and murder, and you, uh, you, you would probably be helped to revisit her story, but again, it's just an example of the incredible uh, unrest in David's uh, family that, that really uh, broke his heart over and over again. David was a man who had his heart broken over and over again. And by the way, when Jesus said a man's enemies will be those of his own family, he's referencing the fact that we are broken people living in a broken world. And then there's David's own sin, which, if you read carefully, we understand that a lot of the problems in David's family, not all of them, but a lot of the problems in David's family, a lot of the conflict and, and, and unrest and, and, and pain and suffering were, were the result of his bad choices that he made and his own sin. Um, he was vexed by it. He was tormented by it. Uh, Psalm 32. Some of you have this committed to memory. Uh, it's a wonderful passage of scripture that the apostle Paul picks up on in the book of Romans and uses it to illustrate the incredible forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, in Psalm 32, verses one through five, it says, and this again is David, he says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. We're not sure what that selah means. It seems to mean something like think about this or pause. Um, I acknowledged my sin to you, verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I confessed my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's why he starts out in verse one by saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered, not covered by yourself, but covered over by the Lord. And how many of you know that there's a time lag here? <laughs> You know, how many of you know that David didn't come to this point of forgiveness and confession right away? In some cases, as in the case of Bathsheba, it took Nathan confronting him. And how much time? How long, how long did David spend groaning all day long? How long did he spend uh, day and night with God's hand heavy upon him, his strength being dried up? as by the heat of summer. We don't know. How long do you spend between the time that you mess up and the time that you go to the Lord and say, I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. I need your restoration. Hopefully, it's not a long time. Somebody was wisely said, keep short accounts with God. 
But we don't always do that, do we? And then even when we do receive God's forgiveness, it doesn't stop us from messing up again, does it? So as we consider these things, the great depth and breadth of the meaning of what it means to have peace and how far-reaching the range of all of this affecting every area of of our lives and all the spheres of our lives, I I want to just point out three things I'm going to try to do this quickly. Three things uh, the Bible teaches us about peace, why it is elusive, and how we can have it. And number one is this, and it's illustrated in David's life in profound terms, even in the passage we just read. You can't have peace, the peace of God, until you have have peace with God. That's the first thing I think we need to state and set it up front and and recognize it and realize that it is proclaimed throughout the pages of Scripture from beginning to end that we cannot have the peace of God until we have peace with God. God has made provision for the forgiveness of our sins. When when Jesus is identified by Isaiah, uh, the prophet, as the prince of peace, We have to understand that uh, God loves you and everything is going to be okay is not the gospel. That the gospel is that God has made provision for the forgiveness of our sins through sending his son to suffer and die in our place so that we can be forgiven. Uh, We have to be careful that we don't buy into a false uh, expectation of how God is going to affect peace in our lives or peace in our world. Uh, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem has always been something that struck me as profoundly moving. And as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he said, when he drew, it says, when he drew near to the city, he wept over it saying, would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. One of the reasons that people find peace so elusive is they fail to realize that you can only have peace uh, the peace of God, when you've made your peace with God. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our, become a peace for us. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. We need to grasp the fact, first of all, that the most important area of our life where we need peace is we need peace with God. It's the greatest need we have. We need peace with God. And then all of the other aspects that relate to our experiencing peace flow out of our relationship with God. So for example, if we're going to have peace with, sorry, if we're going to have peace with others, somebody had a Kleenex for me? please, if there's some at the back there, maybe. I don't have one on me. That's right, I'll just wipe it on my sleeve. 
Thank you, Vicki. Thank you. I think we're okay. <laughs> um, it's, we're talking about the gospel, right? Paul, Paul referred to the gospel, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 6, as the gospel of peace. In uh, Hebrews chapter 2, Paul writes, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down the, in the flesh the dividing wall of, of hostility, abolish, abolishing the law of commandments that brought con, uh, conviction of sin, that we might create in himself one new man, making peace and reconcile us to God both uh, through the body through his body through the cross Um, so that's that's the first thing we need to to be clear on and I wonder this morning before we uh, go any further with that you know have you made your peace with God. How, do you are you at peace with God? Have you responded to the, His provision for your the forgiveness of your sins? Um, it's really you, you can't really move past that without making sure that you you have have that you have that because uh, all other forms of peace depend on that because the provision, the same provision that God made in sending his son Jesus so that we could have peace with him is the same as part of the provision for us to have peace with, uh, with one another. And also uh, what we refer to as inner peace or peace of mind. So for, for example, it says in Philippians chapter 4, and some of you will be very familiar with this passage, but in Philippians chapter 4, it says, do not be anxious. That's that word marine now again that we uh, looked at a while back. But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if you don't have a personal relationship with God, the forgiveness of your sins, then, then how, how you don't have access to the peace of God that God wants to give you and I uh, so that we can have, uh, so we can be, uh, be at peace. Um, I had a wonderful conversation with someone this fall, and I was thinking about that this about this week because those of us who can say with confidence, I humble myself before God, I called upon His name, I asked Him to forgive me for my sin, and He did. And I take my stand in Scripture and the promises of, of God. I know that, that, that we're good, that he has forgiven me, and I have the assurance of the forgiveness of my sins. I, have, I am at peace with God. Still struggle 
with peace. And there are reasons for that. But first thing we need to do is acknowledge that uh, peace is still elusive. Even when we can say, I am at peace with God, sometimes I don't always experience in my life the kind of peace that, that I feel I, I want and need. I was talking to this, this lady. She's an older woman. Um, really rough life. Um, her mom was a British home child. Shipped overseas when she was 11 years old. She was abused. This, this lady was 17 years old when she got married. And the marriage has been a difficult one. And she's been married now for 67 years. Her husband also had a terrible life growing up. He was born in the midst of 10 siblings. His father was an alcoholic who abused his mother. And this lady told me that she has suffered from depression and fear, a fear of death since she was a young child. Rough life. She gave her heart to Christ in 1973. Most of you weren't even born in 1973. Um, she said, if I had nothing else to base my salvation on, I could base it on this one thing, that before that day I swore like a sailor. But from that very night on in my life, God just took that away. And it's not a wonderful thing when God just confirms something like that in your life and you know. You know that he's, uh, he's taken away your sin. She said she knows the Lord has her and that underneath are the everlasting arms. She's quoted many scriptures to me when I was talking to her. And she said she gets peace from knowing that those are true. But she also told me she has a lot of fear in her life. And she worries about things. Especially things happening to her family. And then there's the fact that her husband is suffering from Alzheimer's. And she said she's unable to, to relax. She said she sleeps in a knot. Now, it would be really easy for me to say, you don't have to live like that. You just need to claim God's promise by faith and, and get it and never worry again. Never lack sleep again. Never struggle again. But I'm not going to say that to her. I encouraged her to look to the Lord, but we also need to realize and recognize that we're all in a battle. So the two other things I wanted to share this morning about peace and why, why it is elusive and how we can have it. Uh, there's two other things I, I want to share. And the, the first one is, is that, I'll, the first one I already shared, which is you can't have peace, the, the peace of God until you have peace with God. But the second one is that there's a timeline involved in all of this. I mentioned the whole already not yet aspect of how God is working in human history. When Jesus was weeping over uh, Jerusalem, he said, the day is coming when? The day is coming when? Um, 
Isaiah the prophet uh, in chapter 11, we're reading in chapter 9, but in chapter 11, he talks about the day will come when the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lay down with a young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child will lead them. But we're not there yet. And as long as we live in a broken world, we are going to experience brokenness. Can we have peace in a broken world? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So yes, peace is possible, but it doesn't always come easily or quickly. And sometimes, as you know, we have to just wait on the Lord. Jesus said, when you pray, say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're encouraged to pray for peace. We're encouraged to pray for the peace of, of Jerusalem. And I don't know what you and how you pray for, for that, but when I pray for peace in our world, I pray for the spread of the gospel, the advancing of the kingdom of God on earth, because we're broken people living in a broken world, and people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear that they can have their sins forgiven, and that by the power of having their sins forgiven, they will be empowered to forgive others. And that's the only way that peace is going to come. Um, the, the, th the third and last thing I just want to say is that the, the peace of Jesus comes with the reign of Jesus or the rule of Jesus. And I want to just unpack this just a little, a little bit before we close. And that's this idea that it's a, really a package deal that we're talking about here. Um, we don't get to, to pick and choose uh, if you look at Isaiah 9, and I encourage you to direct your attention back to uh, Isaiah 9, uh, verses 6 and 7, if you look there, peace doesn't come without justice and righteousness. That's why a clear conscience is so conducive to a good night's sleep. Should we expect to have peace if there's something wrong in our hearts or in our lives that God wants to correct and we're not yet willing to address it. Uh, Isaiah, again, Isaiah the prophet in chapter 57 of Isaiah, he says, the wicked are like the tossing sea for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So, so there is no peace for the wicked. No peace. But what about you and I when there's, there's things that, that need to change in our lives and, and we're not ready? Should we expect to have peace? And not only is peace identified in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 with righteousness and justice, but with the rule of God, with his authority in our lives. Do you remember when Jesus calmed the sea? You remember reading this, this disciples rode in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm was raging, and, 
and he was sleeping in the boat, and so they woke him, and they were, they were, they were not experiencing any peace. And Jesus stood, and he spoke to the storm. And do you remember what he said? Come on, what did he say? Peace be still. And of course, when he said that, the waters, the wind stopped, the waves settled, and the disciples said what to one another? What manner of man is this that he commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. They obey him. I, I don't believe it was just a demonstration of his power or even his identity, although it certainly was that. I believe it was also a demonstration to us of what peace is and how it happens. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm getting at, or am I... Am I uh, confusing you here? I hope I'm not confusing you because when we read Isaiah chapter 9 and we read that he is the prince of peace and, and the, the government's going to rest upon his shoulders, that he's not promising some kind of passive benevolence that fails to address the evils and the injustices and the brokenness of our world. We tend to have a shallow understanding of peace and what it is. Uh, we, we tend to have a, 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 an understanding of peace that, that fails to account for the realities of sin and brokenness in our world. Just, just like the world doesn't understand uh, what love is, but thinks it's some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling divorced from truth, so the world thinks that peace can happen uh, if we just let evil be. If we just stop, just stop fighting, that's all. Peace, oh, peace is easy, just stop fighting. The problem with that is it doesn't address the issues. It doesn't address the issues of evil. It doesn't address the issues of sin. If you have conflict with people in your life, it might be tempting to just pray and say, God, just give us peace. But maybe God wants you to deal with the issues, the sources of the conflict. Isaiah chapter 48, lots of Isaiah this morning, but Isaiah chapter 48, it says in verse 18, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would be like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. So on the, on the one hand, when we're talking about forgiveness of our sins, for, that's, that's the grace of God forgiving us for our sins. But God doesn't stop there, does he? He wants to direct our lives. He wants to guide us in how we live our lives. And when we are either ignorant or unwilling to align our living with his direction, we will not have peace because peace comes with the reign of God, his justice, his righteousness, his government. Someday he's going to govern the world uh, politically, if you will. But right now, when we pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he wants to govern our hearts and govern our, our lives. And so there's a, there's a, it relates to this time aspect. I, 
I mentioned the, the already in the not yet thing, and, and the most, um, um, I guess, uh, classic reference to that idea in Scripture is Hebrews chapter 2, and I, I'm going to try to move through this really quick here because I don't want, to, I don't want you to, to get too bogged down with me here, but the Hebrews 2 passage, is, um, I'll, just, I'll just read it to you. I, I, I don't know if we have that on the screen or not. We might. Um, the interesting thing about this passage, I, I mentioned it's that, that, that already not yet aspect, but, but the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 8. And I don't know if you remember this or know this, but Psalm 8 is a Psalm of David. And in Psalm 8, David says, you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And the author of Hebrews takes that reference and says, David was talking about Jesus. And and when he says that about putting everything under his feet, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8 uh, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So if you look at that, it's that already not yet aspect of God's kingdom coming. But the, the process is a process in reference to him putting everything under his feet or subjecting everything under his rulership. Because evil and peace cannot cohabitate. Sin and peace cannot cohabitate. And so long as evil persists in the world, peace will be at best partial. In my own life, I can have forgiveness for my sin. I have forgiveness for my sin. I can count on that. I have peace about that. But I still am in this battle, giving God control over my my life. And that's a sin issue, is what it is. And I need what? I need to surrender. I need to surrender my will to his. And, And that's not a simple kind of thing because it's a battle. Should I expect to have peace when he's not the one directing my life? Should I expect to have peace? For example, I'll give you an example. Should I expect to have peace if I don't have contentment? How difficult a thing is being content? How difficult is it for you to be content? When I was thinking through this, and I am pretty much to the end of my notes, we'd be happy to hear that, but... um, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the ways, like, people are stressed out. You've seen some of the memes going around uh, this Christmas season. Uh, it was never meant to be a burden. Have you seen that one? It was never meant to be a burden. Well, how did it, why does it become a burden? How does it become a burden? Who's directing our lives? Another one I, I saw uh, was uh, an Ikea commercial about taking a holiday from the holidays. Have you seen that one? Hey, what a great idea. Let's take a holiday from the holidays. Well, why would we want to do that? Well, because the holidays are so stressful. Well, why are the holidays so stressful? We don't, we're not sure. I, can, I, I think we, we know. Don't we know? We should know. It's because 
we're fighting to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to tell us what's important. Let him to tell us what we should expect. Let him to, to show us when we're operating on, under his direction and when we're just operating under, under fear. Fear of missing out, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of being a failure as a parent because we didn't give our kids all that they needed to have or whatever. I mean, fill in the blank. But it all does come back to this idea of whether we're allowing, whether we're really allowing God to direct our lives. I have one more scripture I just want to you think about as we close. I probably have, I probably have confused you, but I hope I haven't. Um, do we have that one, uh, Dave? Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Just a statement that Paul makes here. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You see that? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Uh, you want to stand up, stretch your legs, and we'll close in prayer? So, let me just review in case I have confused you. Number one, we should not expect to be able to have the peace of God if we are not at peace with God. And the way that happens, David in uh, Psalm 32, we need to confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, John says. That's, um, that's um, the gospel Message of God for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have peace with God, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Number two, we are living in a broken world and there's a timeline on this. We should not expect that we're going to have, uh, not have conflict or problems on an ongoing basis in this world, this fallen world, until God's timeline is fulfilled. And it's important for us to acknowledge that and to be aware of that. But number three, and this is really important for us, the peace of God comes with the reign of God. We should not, we cannot, Christians, we cannot expect to have peace in our lives if we are kicking against the pricks God's convicting power, pointing out to us things that need to change in our lives. And uh, we need to take heed. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Every Christmas, we, ba- we battle with this. Every Christmas. But this is the 17th of December, and we have another week to get it right. And you say, yeah, but I don't have my shopping all done. That's okay. You have a week to get it right. (laughs) Uh, Will you pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you for this tremendous group of people this morning and for the, uh, the opportunity and the privilege of being a part of this church family. And Lord, we thank you for your word and the many promises within it. We ask you to help us understand your promises, Lord, so that we can move forward into your will for our lives. We so want to 
have the peace that you have for us, but we struggle. Lord, I think of any that might be here this morning who have never asked you to take away the, the guilt of their sin, to cleanse them and to wash them. And I pray, Lord, that they might look to you this morning, that you would give them that forgiveness. Wow, wouldn't that be wonderful this Christmas season. And Lord, uh, we also pray this morning that we'd be mindful of your timetable and realize that there's a lot of, of, of evil and sin in this world. And it shouldn't surprise us. But help us, Lord, to have peace in the storm, just like you promised. And Lord God, uh, we have a surrender issue. And all of us do. We struggle to give it over, to allow you to guide us. And then we turn around and blame you when we don't have peace. God, please forgive us. And Lord, please convict us anew of our need to, to get right with you and to experience that, that peace as you rule and reign in our lives, that we might be a testimony to the amazing peace that you have for all who look to you. Thank you for the words of the prophet Isaiah who said, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, Lord. Help us to have our minds stayed on you. Bless us according to your will and the fulfillment of your promises in these uh, days, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.